Amen. Appreciate that good song, gentlemen. Appreciate the men of our church. Really do. You know, there's a lot of holiness churches that either don't have very many men and, the, and what men they have don't want to be in leadership. And I'm thankful we have a, a church where uh, our men are quick to lend a hand and they're here when they can be and, and they take leadership and they take responsibility for the church. And I'm just thankful for that. I really am. I, I've seen lots of holiness churches where the boards are made up of almost all women or, or sometimes all women. And maybe that's controversial and, and this is go, probably going out and people are probably t- upset at me, but that's all right. I, I believe it's right for, uh, for us to have men who step up to a plate in leadership. Thankful for our, our ladies too. I'm not, not uh, denying that. I, I like to see our ladies uh, take responsibility as well, but in our day, there just seems to be a, a famine of men stepping up, and uh, I appreciate that about our church. It's one of, the, one of the things that I so appreciate in this day. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me, if you would, to Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9. Now, Last several weeks, I've been trying to preach these uh, about a a chapter, a a service. Been going quickly through some of these. And so I trust that you'll forgive me if I just slow it down just a little bit. We're not going to try to get the whole chapter uh, in this time. Zechariah chapter 9, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. The burden of the word of the Lord in the land of Hadrach and Damascus shall be the rest thereof, when the eyes of man, as of all the tribes of Israel, shall be toward the Lord. And Hamath also shall order thereby, Tyrus and Zidon, though it be very wise. And Tyrus did build herself a stronghold and heaped up silver as the dust and fine gold as the mire of the streets. Behold, the Lord will cast her out and he will smite her power in the sea and she shall be devoured with fire. Ashkelon shall see it in fear. Gaza also shall see it and be very sorrowful. And Ekron For her expectation shall be ashamed, and the king shall perish from Gaza, and Eshkelon shall not be inhabited. And a mongrel shall dwell in Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of the Philistines, and I will take away his blood out of his mouth, and his abominations from between his teeth. But he that remaineth, even he, shall be for our God, and he shall be as a governor in Judah and Ekron as a Jebusite. And I will encamp about mine house because of the army, because of him that passeth by, and because of him that returneth. And no oppressor shall press, uh, pass through them any more, for now have I seen w- with mine eyes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, having salvation, lowly, riding upon a donkey, and upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. We'll conclude our reading there. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for the presence that we've sensed in this service. And we're thankful that our very little 
Sometimes our little seems, like, seems hardly worth noticing or, or hardly even worth uh, 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 mentioning. But, but I'm thankful that you know how to take the little and make it much. And so we're asking that one more time that you'd help us to rightly divide the word of truth and that you would help us tonight to be able to uh, take our little bit and that you'd make much of it, make much of yourself, make much of the kingdom, make much of, uh, of your holiness and, and little of us and a little of, of what we would say or what we would do. But you be glorified and honored, we pray. We ask these things in your precious, perfect name. Amen. You may be seated. This is the third section of Zechariah. We've completed the, the, the first two, and now as we enter into the third, the Lord has been silent. He has been quiet as far as Zechariah is concerned. The temple's been fulfilled many years ago. In fact, commentators tell us between 40 and 50 years have, have slipped by between chapter 8 and chapter 9. Zechariah is now an old man. He's He's been in the ministry a long time. God has done some great and mighty things in his day. And Zechariah has, has really been blessed to see God uh, pour out his blessings and, uh, upon the people. And they're, they're rejoicing and, and how God has been good to them. And, and the temple's built and they're excited about that. And, and things are just going really well there in the land of, of Israel except for one thing. They've got no walls. There are, there's, no, there's no walls of protection. They're, they're, they have their, their homes built there. They have their, their temple built there. They, and their enemies are growing stronger ever about them. All around their enemies have, have, have strengthened themselves. And, and uh, there's a, a sense of uh, worry and a sense of panic that is upon the people. They're concerned that, that their, uh, their homes are going to be uh, destroyed. That their families are going to be taken in uh, as uh, slaves. They're, they're concerned that this temple that they've worked so hard and put so much energy and effort and all of their resources really into that it's going to be destroyed again. And now an old man, Zechariah, is, he's, he, I wonder if he thought perhaps his time was done, that perhaps the Lord was going to allow him to retire. He hadn't, he hadn't as far as, as we have record of, any messages from the Lord to hear now 40 to 50 years. And suddenly, in the midst of concern, in the midst of worry, in the midst uh, of, of not knowing for sure what tomorrow holds, the Lord comes down and speaks to Zechariah one more time. I'm thankful that in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our worry, I'm thankful in the times even when, when some would say we're doubting and not having faith, that the Lord is willing to speak to us and He's willing to give us the faith that we need in the midst of uncertainty. And here, Zechariah, he begins prophesying. Now, what I want you to know is that what's interesting here is that the liberals don't believe that Zechariah gave this as a, as a message. They don't, they don't believe Zechariah wrote these words. And the reason for this is, is because this prophecy has already been fulfilled, but it was fulfilled 150 years after Zechariah. And so the liberals can't believe that somehow Zechariah was able to give such details and, and such accurate uh, description of what would happen in 150 years in the future that they've just said someone else wrote it and they wrote it as past tense and tried to say Zechariah said it. But I want to tell you the same God who knows how to cause the sun to stand still in the sky and knows how to make the iron to swim. He's the same God who sees our tomorrows and knows exactly what we're going to face in our troubles in the midst of our struggles 
holds. He knows exactly what tomorrow holds. And we can trust Him. And so Zechariah, I, I kind of imagine he's got his staff. He's, he's leaning on it. He's, he's, a, he's an old preacher now. His, his beard is gray. He's, perhaps he's bald a, a little bit. And, and, he's just, and he's just standing there and he begins to preach. And the people can tell that this is different. This isn't just a, a Zechariah preaching, but this is the word of the Lord coming down upon their men. Zechariah begins to give the prophecies concerning the enemies that are around about them. And first he talks about Damascus. Damascus is, 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 uh, is, is just to the north. It's, it's, it's not too far away. And, and there's, there's concern about Damascus. And Zechariah says, I want you to know that, that there's going to be peace in Damascus. Well, that's good to know. Glad for there to be peace. You know, there's some, there, it's good to know that there's going to be peace. It's good to know that, that we're not going to have struggles and battles. It's a wonderful thing when you can go into, go into a, a week, perhaps a vacation, and you just kind of have this belief that, that this, oh, it's vacation time. It's going to be wonderful. Now, not every vacation gets to be wonderful. Some of them are memorable for the wrong reasons. But you just kind of go into a vacation trusting that it's going to be a problem-free week. It's good to know that there's peace. But then he goes on and he begins to talk about Tyre and Sidon. You and I can't see it. We don't know the Hebrew, but it's kind of funny the way uh, verse 3 goes. It, there's a pun here, and, and I like puns, but, but to try to explain a pun, this pun from Hebrew into English just kind of ruins it. But basically, the, the word for Tyre is, is T-S-O-R in Hebrew, and fortress is M-A-T-S-O-R. And so it says that, basically it's saying Tyre built itself a fortress. But it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. It's kind of a pun that Tyre thought they were big stuff. And then Zechariah, and, 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 and I just love this about the Lord, how he has a sense of humor. He goes on and he says, and they were very wise. It was tongue-in-cheek. Tyre is, uh, uh, has, has a great navy and, and they have a, a, an island city. They had once been on the shore and, and there's about 700 paces. There's an island and they rebuilt the city over there upon the island. They had built for themselves and their wealth. They were able to build for themselves a double wall. It didn't have one wall. It had two walls. 150 feet high each. That is an incredible, incredible wall. I'm sorry, two walls. They were impregnable. There was no way for anyone to be able to, to, to conquer them. And they have, not only are they, uh, are they wise, not only do they have uh, these walls and, uh, and this great defense, they've got an incredible navy. And this navy has gone out, their ships have gone out, and they collect great and, uh, uh, treasures from the far, and they bring them back and they sell them. And they've got money that is such as though on a dry, dusty day, it's, the silver is like the dust. They didn't have paved roads in those days. Some of you know what that means to live on a, on a dry, dusty road. Wouldn't you like to have silver like the dust of your dirt road? You'd be out there collecting, I believe. 
And then he says that they've got gold like the mire. You know how it, when it rains and you know all that gunk that's in the road, all that, that mire, all that mud and all that on your dirt road. That's how the gold was. There's so much. He says it's so, they're so plentiful. They're so wealthy over there in Tyre. It's like dust and mud. Man, I tell you what, that's the kind of place I'd like to live. They got, they got gold and silver like dust and mud. They're doing really well for themselves. They've got their, they've got their wisdom. They have their wealth. They have, their, they have a great navy. They have, their, they have their walls. The Assyrian king thought he would, uh, would like to have that wealth. He'd like to have Tyre for himself. And so the Assyrian king laid siege on it. For five years they sieged that city and they couldn't bring it down. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he said, well, you know what? The Assyrians couldn't do it, but he said, I can do it. I'm able to br- I've brought down everyone that has ever gotten in my way. I'm going to bring Tyre down. He sieged Tyre for 13 years and was never able to cause that city to fall. Nebuchadnezzar failed. And here comes Zechariah, the old gray-bearded preacher, leaning on his staff, saying that the Lord is going to cause Tyre and their, and their trust in their wisdom and their trust in their wealth and their trust of, of, of their walls and the trust of, of all these things that God is going to destroy them. And I have to believe with all my heart there were people there that were kind of, kind of chuckling. The old coots kind of lost it now. He's lost it now. Tyre, and they, there's no way that Tyre's ever going to fall. There's no way Tyre's ever going to come down. But there rose a man out of, out of Macedonia, a 21-year-old boy, really, by the name of Alexander, who God had given a mandate and he felt that, that mandate on his heart. And so he began to march. And he marched his way over to, to Tyre. And he wanted Tyre to fall. And so he laid siege to it. And he realized that he, there's no way that he was going to be successful because it was surrounded by water, the double walls. And, and so what he did is, is back there on the land, you remember I told you Tyre used to be on the mainland. He went over to Tyre and he found all the rubble, all the timber and all the rocks and all that stuff. And he began to build a bridge from rubble from, t- from the old city to the new city. 700 paces. And he built that great land bridge, that, that great bridge of, of, of junk really and rubble. And he took his siege engines across that and in five months, Five months he was able to bring down Tyre and fulfill the promise that God had given Zechariah that this great city with all its wealth and all of its ability and all of its talents, it would fall. And Alexander saw to it that it happened. Then the prophet, he continues on and he begins to mention the different cities of the Philistines. You know, Alexander, was, he was a terrible, terrible conqueror. When he conquered Tyre, he killed 10,000 men. 
and the remaining 20,000 inhabitants he sold into slavery. He went over to, to one of these cities, and, and I, I could look in my notes, but, but they surrendered immediately. The one, I, I forget, the one that says that they were fearful. They were, uh, they were on the Mediterranean Sea as well. They surrendered immediately. You know what he did? He sold them all into slavery. Even though they surrendered, he didn't care. Slaves. Well, what do you do? What do you do when you're in that kind of shape and he's marching on your door? He's marching on your walls. Shows up, I believe it's the Gaza. The king says, well, this, this, isn't, a good, this isn't a good thing. He said, they, our, our, uh, our brothers and sisters, they, they, they surrendered and he sold them off into slavery. He said, well, we're going to have to resist them. We're going to have to fight them. So they did. They resisted. Alexander was so mad that they fought him and resisted him because he, he, the whole plan was to be quick and to take down city after city so that he could conquer the world. It took him two months to take Gaza down. And after Gaza fell, he tied that king to the chariot and ran him through the streets until he died. He was a brutal man. He went over to Ascalon. Tells you there that they became a mongrel people. You see, the thing about the Philistines is they were proud of their national heritage. They were proud of who they were. We were Philistines. We know where we are and we know who we came from. They're a proud people. And Do you know what Alexander does to those people that are so proud of their national heritage? He takes them and he mixes them up with other people. He takes them and moves these ones out and these ones in. And so all these people from different lands are there. And now the inhabitants are a mixed race. The very prophecy that Zechariah said would happen. The very thing that, that the, the people of the Philistines were so proud of, God took it out of their hands. And they lost their national heritage. And today there's no one who claims to be a Philistine. It's lost forever. They, were, they clung on so much to their, to their idolatry. And they clung so much into their national pride that the Lord said he had to, to rip it out of their mouth to draw blood. They clenched onto it like a bulldog that wouldn't let go. And they wouldn't let go of their sin. They wouldn't let go of their idolatry. So much so that God had to yank it out of them. And I wonder this evening, what is God trying to rip out of us? What is God trying to rip out of our hearts? And we just keep clinging to it like a bulldog. We keep clinging on to it. You know, I, I, I'm afraid our nation's not too different than Tyre. We've, we've, we want walls, and we've got, we've got the best navy in the world, and we've got the best air force in the world, and, and we've got the technology that we, can, that we can shoot down missiles in the air. We've got, we've got walls that you can't even see. The, the, the satellites uh, detect those missiles, and they can shoot them out of the air with other missiles. We've got such talent and so, and so much wealth in America. And what about the national pride? Nationalism is something we keep hearing about. 
we're Americans, we're better than everyone else. We're Americans, we, we, you know, we, we're, we're not like them. And we've got all this national pride and we've got our idols, our heroes from Hollywood and our heroes from, from the sports world and we've got our, our heroes in our politics and, and we're, what's happened is we've gotten a, a hold of things that God never intended us to have in our mouth but we won't let it go. Ever have a child put something in their mouth that you knew that that better not be in there? Ever see a little baby or toddler get a hold of a little penny or a quarter or something something else that they're not supposed to have and they put it in their mouth and you rush over there as concerned parent and you're trying to get that thing out of them, you know if they swallow it, it's going to be serious. You know that if they inhale it, that they could die. And, and you have a, 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 a panic. And that child knows that you want what they have. And they lock that jaw. I mean, they, I don't know how it is. Those babies have jaws of steel. And you don't want to hurt them because you don't want them swallowing it. You don't want them sucking it in. But you're trying to get that mouth pride open because you know what they have could kill them. And just like that, spiritually, we get in a similar place. We get a hold of things. We get a taste for things that God never intended us to have in our mouth. And we lock it up. And God's trying. He's not, he's, he doesn't want to rip it out. He doesn't want to hurt us. But sometimes there gets a point where you just kind of got to put a little pressure. Do you know it's going to hurt that child? And you know they're going to squawk. And that's what you're looking for. So you can get in there and get that out of there. God says he had to take it and rip it out so much that the blood was in their mouth. I don't know if you like history or not. I I find this interesting how God just fulfills these prophecies. Just perfectly. But here's what he says. He says that the, it's not going to come to Jerusalem when he's coming and when, and when he's leaving. It says twice. Twice he's going to show up. And do you know Alexander the Great, he came, he, he came after he de- defeated those, those Philistine cities. And you know he was mad at Jerusalem. He had a short temper. Just about anything set Alexander off. He asked Jerusalem for supplies from Tyre. He's, he's, needing the, he's in a five-month siege, and he's asking Jerusalem, will you give us some supplies? And Jerusalem it doesn't want to give supplies to Alexander because Tyre is their ally. And they really want to stay out of this. And besides, if Alexander fails here, then hopefully he'll just go home. But Alexander's not been defeated. And here he comes. And he's marching towards Jerusalem. And the people of Jerusalem are terrified. And the scripture says right here that the people of Jerusalem of Israel, that the people of Jerusalem are going to turn their eyes to the Lord. And that's exactly what they did. They turned their eyes to the Lord. Now, I, what I'm about to tell you is, is, is what Josephus tells us. He's the one who wrote the Jewish history. 
We're not sure that he has everything accurate. We're not sure that it's not legend. I'm just telling you, this isn't scripture. I'm just telling you what Josephus, the Jewish historian, said. He says the people begin to pray. The high priests begin to pray and ask God what to do. What can they do? Jerusalem is, is facing a, a terrible, terrible uh, general, one that has the, the mandate of God on him. He has conquered every city that it's ever come across. I mean, if Tyre, who has stood five years of the Assyrians and, and 13 years of, of Nebuchadnezzar, what's little Jerusalem going to do? And they call upon the Lord. And this is what Josephus says. He says, the Lord came to the high priest in a dream. And he says, this is what I want you to do. He says, I want you to open up your gates to him. He says, I want you to have all the priests dressed in white robes and lined up. And I want you to come out in your high priestly garments. That seems ludicrous. I just told you that one of the cities that surrendered to him, he sold them all into slavery. This is a crazy plan. I can't imagine when the high priest came back with that plan. That's not battle. That's not going to save them. But the people did what the high priest said. Alexander's marching towards them. They open up the gates. The priests file out their white robes. And there stands the high priest in his full high priestly garments. Alexander the Great great king from Macedonia sees the high priest and he kneels. He kneels. He doesn't conquer them. He doesn't sell them into slavery. He kneels. He gets back to his men, and his men asked him, he said, you don't kneel to anyone. We've never seen you kneel to anyone. You conquer every city. You conquer every king. Why did you kneel to that high priest? He said, when I was back in Macedonia, he said, I had a dream of this exact scene. And a voice said to me to go and conquer. And when I saw this, I knew that the Lord, their God, I, he, said, he said, I wasn't kneeling to that priest, I was kneeling to their God, because their God had spoken to me back in Macedonia. Alexander gets up from there, he goes down to Egypt, they surrender without a fight, he goes back up through Jerusalem, and he leaves them alone. What did I tell you, Zechariah said? Twice that the conqueror would go pass through, and twice he would not bother Jerusalem. God takes care of the humble. They didn't have the, the technology. They didn't have the wealth. They didn't have the resources of Tyre. They didn't have the, the pride and nationalism of the Philistines. All they had was the humility to ask for God in the midst of their trouble, in the midst of their sorrow, and God showed up. And no man had to die and no child and woman was sold into slavery because they minded the Lord. They were humble in the presence of the Lord. 
That does something for me tonight. It really does. You know, there, we live in a day of protesting. We live in a day of petitions and parades. We live in a day of yelling at each other and having our signs with our clever sayings on them. People forming human chains across highways, stopping traffic. And I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't participate in right-to-life marches and those kind of things. I'm not, I'm not saying that those things are off-limits, but here's what I truly believe. I believe when God's people get a hold of God, God does something. But are we humble enough to seek Him out? Are we humble enough to put Him first and say, Lord, we don't know what to do. Alexander's knocking on the door. He's knocking on the gates and He's going he's gonna to bring us down. He's had it our way. Or do we think we, we can trust in ourselves? Listen, I'm not preaching against Trump's wall, and I'm not preaching against the Navy or an army and all those things. I'm not, I'm not preaching that way tonight. Don't come out of here and say that the preacher's against all these things. Here's what I'm trying to help us understand. We can't put our trust in those things. I'm proud to be an American, but I don't put my trust in being an American. For all I know, in 50 years, America will be almost forgotten. I don't know. We don't know what the future holds. We can't put our trust in, in being, you know, uh, 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 conservative people. Thank God for conserv being conservative in our lifestyle and, and in our theology. But you know, that's not going to do us any good. We can't put our trust in walls and missiles and tanks and atomic bombs. They all fail. They all fail. But our God has never once lost a battle. He's never once lost a battle. In verse 9, it tells us that our Lord's coming. <laughs> this is great. He tells us coming. Uh, <laughs> the first part of, the, of, the, of this uh, verse has already been fulfilled. Jesus shows up riding a foal of a donkey. Kings don't ride donkeys, they ride horses. Donkeys are pack animals. They're beasts of burden. A king is a warrior. He is the highest. And no one is to sit higher than the king. How is it that the Messiah would come in not only on a donkey, but on the full of a donkey? That great... That great uh, celebration that we have at every Easter uh, Palm Sunday is prophesied right here. And Zechariah, in, in his prophetic eye, gets to see it long before it ever would happen. You say, preacher, why was all this other stuff important about Tyre and Sidon and, and these Philistine cities? Why is that all important? Because Alexander conquering the world allowed for there to be one language. 
And as Rome took over, took into place the, the technology of the roads and the technology of, of uh, all that they had, the, all that created a world in which when Jesus came in, it was the fullness of time and the message of Christianity could spread throughout the entire known world because of one language and Roman roads all made possible by Alexander the Great coming out of a little tiny country of Macedonia with 35,000 men. But he, Matt, he, Alexander had no idea he was doing it for his own pride. He was doing it for his own record books. When he conquered the last place, he wept because there was no more places to conquer. He fulfilled the mission that God had for him, and soon he was dead. At 33, he was gone. Never got to enjoy the spoils of victory. Never got to go, as far as I know, ever get back to Macedonia. Never get to go home. Alexander, in all of his pride, didn't realize he was fulfilling the first step in making the world ready for Christmas. Christmas was coming. And Alexander, in his bloody march... In all of his pride, and all of his own vainglory, he was preparing the way for our Lord to come. And he'd come not with pride and not with swords, but he would come lowly. There are three things that Zechariah tells us about Jesus, about this coming Messiah. He says, first of all, that he's just, he's righteous, he's holy. Alexander wasn't just. Surrender to him, it doesn't matter. We'll sell you off into slavery. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter that it's not fair. He wasn't just. He brought salvation. Oh, Alexander wasn't bringing salvation for anybody. He brought slavery. He brought chains. All those people were sold off into slavery to fund his campaigns. But Jesus broke the chains. The chains of sin that we put on ourselves. Zechariah tells us that he would be humble. And if there was anything that Alexander was not, it was humble. But Jesus, the king of the universe, the prince of peace, came, he came in a manger. It laid him in a feed box. They wrapped him in rags. How does the king of heaven get wrapped in rags and be put in a feed box for animals? He should have been born in a palace. He should have been wrapped in purple. And all the world should have bowed down. And yet, before he was even three years old, as a two-year-old... Or younger, he's fleeing for his life from a wicked king. And he'd bring no sword, but he'd bring his own blood to conquer death, hell, and the grave. Give me Jesus over Alexander. (laughs) Give me Jesus before any conqueror in history, any king any president, 
Any hero that you want to point to, give me Jesus. For he alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. And may all his people bow down before him and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Oh, praise his name. He's worthy. And the same God who saw 150 years into the future and could see Alexander coming up, could look into the future even beyond that to a babe that would be born in a manger, that would grow up to ride the foal of a donkey into to that great uh, triumphal entry. That same God has yet to fulfill that last part of verse 9, when peace will come to Jerusalem forever. But I want to tell you, if he is able to keep all the rest of his promises in this chapter, I have a funny feeling that he's able to keep that last promise. I trust him tonight. I trust him to keep every promise he ever made. And you can too. You can too. Let's stand together. Sister Peggy, would you please dismiss us in prayer?